This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing making people's lives better. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. Are you planning a winter getaway? How about a few months down south? Have you thought about what will happen if you have a health emergency during your visit? What if your insurance company won't cover the costs? It happens more often than you'd think, and today Gordon Pape will help us navigate the sometimes confusing conditions of health insurance. Plus, has the emotional debate over medically-assisted dying overshadowed the push for quality palliative health care from coast to coast? Dr. Gary Roden from the Princess Margaret Cancer Center will tell us more. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Go to seniors.gc.ca and click on Information for Caregivers. The federal government has created a new website to provide essential information on resources for caregivers and patients. Seniors.gc.ca will have a centralized portal for federal, provincial, and municipal information on finances, care options, dementia, mental health, powers of attorney, and other health issues. Minister of State for Seniors Alice Wong says it's about taking a step forward to more comprehensive and accessible caregiving. The Canadian population is aging, you know, we all know that. And that that means that the rate of Canadians providing care for their elderly parents or relatives will also be going up. And this is the growing concern. Like, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm not a senior yet, but I'm looking after my, my parents' grandparents. And, and where do I get information for, for support for myself as well, not just for my parents and grandparents? Meanwhile, a new study finds that women are more likely to be caregivers for elderly relatives than men. The study was led by University of Calgary social work professor Dr. Yon Jung Lee. It looked at 5,000 Americans between the ages of 50 and 61 who participated in an earlier survey on health and retirement. 7% of the women in the sample assisted with parents' personal needs compared to only 3.5% of men. 20% of women helped parents with chores, errands, and transportation, compared to 16% of men. The female caregivers were also much more likely to quit their jobs or retire early to focus solely on being a caregiver. We all know that exercise is good for our health, and now another study is saying it's never too late to start. The study in the British Journal of Sports Medicine followed 3,500 healthy people at or around retirement age. Those who started to exercise even once a week after being inactive were three to four times more likely to age healthily compared to their continuously inactive peers. Their exercise cut the risk of heart disease, stroke, diabetes, Alzheimer's disease, and depression. Doing regular exercise throughout your life is ideal, say the researchers, but there are health benefits to be had 
even if you're a late starter. The Toronto Film Critics Association has honoured director and producer Norman Jewison for his contributions to Canadian cinema. The world-renowned Toronto-born director's films include In the Heat of the Night, Fiddler on the Roof and Moonstruck. He also founded the Canadian Film Centre, which has 1,500 graduates working in Canada's film industry. Jewison receives the Technicolor Clyde Gilmore Award. He will select a worthy filmmaker who will receive 50000 in film services. The association also selected director Matt Johnson to receive the $5,000 Scotiabank J. Scott Award for Best Emerging Artist. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. This time of year, many Zoomers and their families are preparing for a trip somewhere south. Here's some advice from financial guru and Zoomer magazine columnist Gordon Pape. Don't get tripped up when it comes to travel medical insurance. He's already in Florida, and I reached him there. Well, number one, you've got to be sure that you have it. Some people think they're covered because some credit cards... Uh, make a big deal of the fact that they're offering um, travel health insurance, you really have to look at that very carefully. Uh, Check, number one, the age restrictions, because in many cases, if you're over 65, uh, they really coverage doesn't apply to you. And also, what's the time frame uh, of the coverage? Are there um, pre- um, uh, condition exclusions. Uh, there's all kinds of things you have to be careful of. Uh, if you don't have proper medical coverage through your credit card, and I suspect most people don't, then you're going to have to get it in one form or another. And in that case, uh, you've got to do some shopping around. Uh, unfortunately, all policies are not created equal, and you have to be sure that you get the right one. And very important, you've got to fill up the forms correctly. And some of these forms can be very tricky. And so if you have to make a claim, the insurance companies will um, go back to your doctor and they will go through these forms with a fine-tooth comb. And if they found that you made an error, left something out, then you could have your claim denied. Do people sort of do it on purpose, saying, oh, I'm not going to tell them about those heart palpitations, or are these kind of genuine errors? I think they're both. I think in some cases people are thinking, well, if I tell them about this, I won't get the coverage. And the danger is, of course, then if that particular condition comes back when you're in the States or wherever you happen to be, Mexico, wherever, and uh, you've uh, made a false statement on your your application form, they're going to find this out and they're going to come back and they're going to deny the coverage. uh, One of the things that the insurance professionals themselves recommend is that you sit down with the family doctor and go through it. And sometimes the family doctors are a bit reluctant to do it because these forms are long. It takes quite a bit of time, but basically what you do is call the doctor, make a double appointment so that they have adequate time to do it, and go over the form with the doctor to make sure that's accurate. Even things like a change in your medication. I specifically asked this to a senior person at one of the companies, and I said, well, what happens, um, say you're on blood pressure medication, for example, and uh, the doctor says, your blood pressure is great, we're reducing your actual dosage. Does this have any effect? And she says, yes, because it's a change in your condition. But I said, it's a change for the positive. She says, it doesn't matter. I mean, they'll get you in so many ways, and you've got to be very sure that you've got the coverage before you go. You made a very interesting distinction in the column that when it comes to medical insurance involving travel, there's a difference between interruption of your travel and cancellation of your travel. Yes, that's right. Cancellation is if something happens before your trip, 
that requires you to cancel the trip. Say you become ill or a family member becomes ill. That's one thing. The trip interruption is if you're on the trip and you have to go home for some reason, that's a different kind of coverage. Now, most um, of these coverages do have cancellation and interruption, you know, sort of as part of the same package, but not necessarily. You have to ask about that. And what about people who have previous conditions? I mean, for instance, I've had cancer twice. Would I get insurance? You probably would, uh, especially if it's in remission and if you haven't had, uh, you know, any serious problems for a while. Usually, however, what happens is you you have an impaired policy. In other words, they'll charge you more for it. Um, you'll pay an additional premium in order to get that coverage that protects you uh, as far as this pre-existing condition is concerned. I think it's more of a, uh, a concern with people who have something like a heart condition. Right. Because uh, that comes on very suddenly. A recurrence of cancer, you can fly home well, and exactly. That's... have it taken care <clears> of. But uh, <throat> if you have a heart attack when you're traveling, that's a matter of we need help fast. The um, insurance professional I was talking to said about 25% of Canadians who travel uh, outside the country do not get medical coverage. Well, they're taking a risk. Now, mind you, you know, if you're in excellent health and you're not terribly concerned about it, and you want you say, I'm, I don't want to pay the hundreds of dollars it's going to cost for the, the travel coverage. I'm going to take the chance. That's up to you. That's your call. But uh, I think most people would be better served by having some coverage because you never know what might happen. Gordon Pape, thanks very much. Enjoy the wonderful weather in Florida, and hopefully many of our listeners will be joining you sometime soon. Well, I'd love to see him down here, and thanks very much, Libby. You can read Gordon's column every month in Zoomer magazine. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Weekend Review. It's an issue that should be at the top of the agenda for Zoomers, quality end-of-life care. But experts inside Canada's palliative care system say it needs a lot more attention and funding. In just a moment, I'll be joined by one of those experts, Dr. Gary Roden. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. It's an emotional issue with special resonance for Zoomers, and it's hit the top of the national agenda. The debate over medically assisted dying is making headlines, and it can obscure the other key issue at the end of life. Is our palliative care system good enough? I sat down with Dr. Gary Roden, head of psychosocial oncology and palliative care at the Princess Margaret Cancer Center. Palliative care is a relatively new specialty. Actually, in one way, it's the oldest part of medicine. It used to be all of medicine. But as a modern specialty, we're talking about only 30 or 40 years. And it developed because mainstream medicine wasn't looking after people properly at the end of life. People were having too much pain and suffering that wasn't necessary. And it emerged in reaction to that about 30 years ago. It's grown phenomenally. It's become a world movement. It's recognized by the United Nations as a human right. And the most recent change is that people are now recognizing that not only is this care important at the end of life, but even from the time of diagnosis of a terminal disease or a life-threatening disease, there might be um, tremendous anxiety, fear, and physical symptoms that could benefit from psychological help and from physical care. Is there a problem with the term palliative care? You know, people say you're diagnosed and you're sent to palliative care. I was, but I'm thinking, well, what what am I doing here? What do you mean, palliative care? Well, it's true that many people still believe palliative care only refers to end-of-life care, and that is how it's begun. 
But we think the problem isn't just the word. The problem is people's fear about a disease that might be terminal, about facing the end of life. So we think education about these things is more important than changing the name. The name is a new name, actually. It's only about uh, 30 years old, also coined by a Canadian, Balfour Mount, a surgeon in Montreal, who trained in England with Cicely Saunders at the St. Christopher's Hospice. And it was hospice care before that. It was called hospice care, and that term is still used in different ways now, but hospice was thought to be a term which was stigmatized because it was associated with care for the indigent or the poor. So palliative is a brand new term. Uh, And so the fact that people keep having problems with the term suggests maybe it's the thing itself, (laughs) not the word. That's that's an interesting take on that. It's it's the thing itself. So what stops people when they're diagnosed with something bad from starting to take palliative care? I mean, and, and there are studies that show that people who are in palliative care actually live longer than people who aren't. Yes, there's a very recent important study which showed that. I think we have to put the responsibility partly on the physicians and the medical team that that in the past, many people, physicians themselves weren't educated enough about palliative care. And I think what we've been able to accomplish is to have patients and physicians realize that this can be done collaboratively. It doesn't mean giving up one's medical care or one's cancer care, that palliative care and symptom control and advanced care planning uh, can happen at the same time. Where does all of this fit into the debate about assisted dying? Well, uh, it's it's part of a general uh, interest in end-of-life care. Um, some people feel that assisted dying... It's a controversy about where assisted dying should be located. Some people feel that it should not be part of palliative care, and some people feel that it should. Those who argue against it say that it's not a medical treatment. It may be a medical act, but it's not a medical treatment, actually, to help someone die. And there's debate about whether um, we should be putting emphasis on legalizing it or we should be focusing on providing better end-of-life care or we should be doing both of those things. And do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I work in a cancer hospital and... and, we find that almost always we're able to control physical pain and suffering. Um, we're able to help people plan for the end of life and we're able to provide comfort and support and to have people be supported by their families. And for many people, that time when families come together at, near the end of life of someone is sometimes one of the most important things uh, for families altogether. So we don't find it a great necessity, speaking personally anyway, uh, in the cancer setting. Don't the drugs that you give people at the end of life, don't they hasten death anyway? Morphine well, like um, this is an area of controversy also. I think it's possible to control pain with drugs and not hasten death. And I think that's what good palliative care does, actually. We often think it's about pain and physical suffering, but it's not often. This is where it becomes a controversial issue of personal preference because a lot of it has to do just with personal control. I want to control the circumstances of my dying. Or I want to know that I can control yes. the circumstances yes. of my yes. Yeah, And so for many people, the idea of having the option available is important, even if they would never take advantage of the option. Well, the, the statistics <clears throat> show that even in, say, in Oregon, where it's legal, one in 10 people who fill the prescription actually take the right. drugs. And in many places like Europe where it's available, if you look at all the deaths, it's between 1% and 3% of people die by this means, actually. So it's, it's an uncommon way of people ending their life. In fact, if you'd say what's a bigger problem in cancer care, it's people wanting to continue futile treatment as long as possible. If you had your druthers, what would you like to see to improve end-of-life care here? We, see, we need to see more universal access to palliative care for people to get early symptom control, for people to be able to plan for the future, to plan about the location of their death, the location of advanced care, 
it doesn't arouse as much controversy as the question of assisted dying, but it's a much larger problem, and it requires slow, steady work to make sure palliative care is available to, to everyone. Okay. Dr. Gary Roden, thanks so much. Thank you very much, Libby. Both Dr. Roden and I took part in a very lively and informative debate on assisted dying. You can watch it on The Zoomer tomorrow night at 9 p.m. on our sister station, Vision TV. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is The Zoomer Week in Review. We'll take a quick break and return with birthday celebrations for the Divine Miss M, Bette Midler. You're listening to The Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing making people's lives better. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your international arts date book. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. In New York City, a new musical follows the rise of Carole King from her life growing up in Brooklyn to her career as a writer of hip-hop songs. You got to get up Jesse Mueller stars in Beautiful, the Carole King musical at the Stevens Sondheim Theater. It's feeling like Christmas at the Art Institute of Chicago for the exhibition Open Something Greater. New works to the museum are being unveiled, including the Neapolitan Crash, a drawing by Van Gogh, and newly decorated Thorn miniature rooms. And in Tel Aviv, the Museum of Art there presents major works by five artists from the Mugrabi Collection. A significant part of this exhibition is devoted to the works of Andy Warhol. These include the famous painting of a Coca-Cola bottle and portraits of celebrities such as Marilyn Monroe, Liz Taylor, and Elvis Presley. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Date Book. Well, all right. Okay. You win. I'm in love with you, well, all right. Today, the one and only Bette Midler is celebrating her 68th birthday. The Zoomer icon began her career in the late 60s, working her way up the musical circuit to Broadway productions like Fiddler on the Roof and Salvation. In 1970 and 71, she gained a cult following while regularly performing at the Continental Baths in New York City, earning the nickname Bathhouse Betty. It was during this time that she met a budding songwriter and pianist by the name of Barry Manilow. The two would help kickstart each other's careers. In 1972, Manilow produced Bette Midler's first album, The Divine Miss M. It reached the Billboard's top ten and became a million-selling platinum-certified album, earning Midler the 1973 Grammy Award for Best New Artist. From there, her career took off as she became a true diva of sound, stage, and screen. Right now, we'll hear one of the top hits from that first album. It was a song first performed by a group that Bette Midler idolized, the Andrews Sisters. Here is her rendition of their 1941 classic, Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy. Understand because the next to the cap went out and drafted the band, and now the company jumps. 
when he plays Reveille. He's the boogie woogie bugle boy of Company B. A root, a toot, a tootlyot, a toot, he blows the H of the bar. In boogie rhythm, he can't blow a note unless the bass and guitar is playing with him. And the company just when he plays Reveille. He's the boogie woogie bugle boy of Company B. He was some boogie woogie bugle boy of Company B. When he plays boogie woogie bugle, he was busy as a busy bee. When he played, he made the company jump eight to the bar. He's the boogie woogie bugle boy of Company B. Da 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 doodly da da doodly da da doot doot. He blows eight to the bar. was Bette Midler with Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy, one of the top hits from her 1972 debut album, The Divine Miss M. She is celebrating her 68th birthday today. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Please come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program director, John Bandry. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network. Home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air and The Garden Show.